You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. I don't know why, but I was picturing a whole stage full of puppies with you up here. So. <laughs> Anyone else feel like they got hit with a hurricane? Oh, man. The last few weeks have been challenging. Is that a good word? A little bit, uh, a little bit difficult. Um, let's do... Release the kids. The kids, if you want to uh, attend our kids' ministry, you can go through those doors at any time, uh, as soon as you get bored. Uh, uh, um, let's see if we could relate to some of these words. Overwhelmed, slammed, exhausted, empty, lost. But we have a God that is bigger than all those things. We have a God that can move mountains, who spoke the mountains into being. And so we don't sit here today as those who don't have hope, but we sit here today as those who hope for something greater. We should long and anticipate for forever. Uh, the Bible speaks of this time, this body, as we are just passing through tents. That's what, that's what the scripture calls your body. Anybody feel like they're living in a tent? Um, maybe some, some, some broken crossbars. Um, but yeah, I thought uh, last week, for those of you that weren't here, uh, one of our elders, Tim, did such a phenomenal job walking with our church through a really difficult season that we come into, not only with the hurricane and the loss of homes, um, but we had a young man, age of 16, um, that, that is no longer with us. And last week, our church got together, and he, uh, we prayed, and we sought the Lord um, on, his, on his, really his mom's behalf, his family's behalf. Um, Don, uh, we're going to be celebrating his life later today at 4 o'clock at First Assembly, which is on Colonial and Summerlin. Um, so at 4 o'clock, if you want to join us to celebrate the life of John Wyatt Ward. Um, but in a moment of desperation and despair, John Wyatt allowed his circumstances to overcome his reality. And I think often... Throughout our lives, we face these circumstances. There's so many things. Like, we can prepare. Like, who else likes to be in control? We try so desperately to be in control. We try so desperately to, to create a kingdom, right? We want a castle. We want a brick wall. And then we want a moat around that brick wall, right? Some alligators maybe popping out. Just to protect our stuff. But the Bible says this world is not our home. And often if we put our faith and our hope in the stuff, it will crumble. If we put our faith and hope in people, our world will crumble. Your spouse is not strong enough to bear the weight of all of your expectations. Parents, your kids, are not strong enough to bear the weight of all of your expectations. We were not created to be God. 
We were created to depend on God. But often what we do is we want to put our faith and our hope in what seems more tangible. Our finances, our homes, our cars. But in a moment, we can and will lose all of those things. But one thing remains. His his love, it never fails. His mercy, his grace is never ending. And it's in the moments that we lose it all, in the moments where we feel most helpless and hopeless is where he meets us. And so when we're looking at this this passage, I mean, Paul is not writing from a place of like, he's not sitting up in this castle, right? He's not sitting up in a castle looking over this kingdom um, like maybe David would have in some of his his psalms or or Solomon would have in some of his psalms. He's not sitting looking at this kingdom going, hey, God, things are great. Things are awesome. David is in prison right now. Or I'm sorry, Paul is in prison right now. Like he is sitting there in the muck and mire towards the end of his life. He knows that his death is pending. And he's got really nothing to his name. And he's urging a church, he's begging a church not to put their faith and their hope and their trust in their circumstances, but to put their faith and their hope and their trust in a person. And that person has a name, and his name is Jesus. So Ephesians 4 Verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. And I love this word prisoner. This is one that is bound. And it's not that he has been taken captive by God, but, but that his heart has been captivated by God. He is so bound to the person of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. He, he has no other response than just to overflow this to the people. And so he is bound to this message, a prisoner for the, for the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I urge you, urge, that word I beg you. Paul is pleading with the church in Ephesus. He is pleading with the church today. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I, I want us to be careful here. Because as we go through the scriptures, just as, as Dean did such a great job reading, we see live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And all of a sudden, we get this um, thing that wells up inside us that thinks, now we have to do something, right? This is our job. We have to live in a way that's worthy of the calling. And if I don't live in a way that's worthy of the calling, then I am not saved. Or if I don't do this, then God is going to be displeased with me. But that's not what these words means. And sometimes when we're going from the original text, which would have been written in Greek, to English, we miss out on some of the words that Paul was really meaning. And if we miss out on those words and the understanding of what worthy means, then all of a sudden we begin to believe in a works-based theology. A works-based theology would say it's Jesus plus something we do equals our salvation. Jesus plus baptism. Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus being a good person. That's what equals salvation. But that's not what the entirety of this word says. It says Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Jesus alone, by faith alone, through grace alone, equals salvation. So so the word here that we see as walk means 
to go comprehensively around, to walk comprehensively around, to, to do, come, come full circle. That's what that word live or walk means, to live in a manner, right, to comprehensively walk around, and then there's this word worthily, A-X-I-O-S. Does it look familiar to anybody? It's actually the word we derive for the word axis, right? The center of something, the thing that holds something true. So live, living as if you were actually on a perfected center. Spin, comprehensively around. So, so as I was studying it this week, these two things came to my mind. So this is a top. Anybody know what a top is? Right? So a top, the way a top works is it has to be perfectly symmetrical, it has to be perfectly weighted, and that way it spins around. And then there is a globe. And so one of the things that I think is, is that we begin to put our footing on the things of this world. And so we're kind of like a top. So, so we spin. But here's the problem with the top, the, the, the center is ever moving. Circumstances will affect this top. So if I shake the table, it'll start to wobble. If I bump it, it'll start to go off course, right? A hurricane comes, it's gonna do that, right? That's, that's what we feel in life when we try to center ourselves on something that's not immovable, unshakable, when we are not rooted and grounded in God's love. But a globe is different. As a globe comprehensively rotates around the axis, it is fixed. It is secure. The outside circumstances are not going to let it waver. And so we have to see the difference between putting ourselves rooted and grounded in circumstances or stuff versus being grounded secure in the center to which you have been called. Now, what does he mean by that? So rotate, live your life comprehensively rotating around this axis, this secure axis to which you have been called. What does that mean? He goes on to emphasize who and what we are rooted and grounded in. It's into a relationship with the God who created all things. The God who is more loving and more powerful and more ever-present than anything you can ever ask, think, or imagine. And when we look at the calling to which you have been called, we get fearful when we see words like this. But I want to make sure that we, we don't go into Scripture projecting maybe things that we have heard and seen in our culture. Maybe we read an article one time or we listened to a podcast or watched a YouTube video on, on words like this. But I want to make sure that when we speak about Scripture, we use scriptural words. The calling to which you have been called. We don't need to struggle with this if you remove yourself from these outside influences and just read God's word. There is no confusion. Paul starts in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, 
according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. We should not be fearful or scared of these words. And we can't fully wrap our minds around them. So there have been debates and generation after generation to try to wrap our finite little minds around these words. But this is the words that he uses. This is the spirit of God inspiring Paul to write this down. Chose us, predestined us, adopted. These are beautiful words. You have been called. You have been wooed. I love that picture of being wooed into relationship with the Lord. God doesn't strong arm anybody into relationship with him. That's a weak man's play. He doesn't take somebody and slam their head down on the trunk of their car and it's like, you have to believe in me. No, no, no. He reveals himself in such a way where we can do nothing but just to fall on our knees and say, yes, Lord. And it's usually in the midst of despair and hopelessness and brokenness that we come to the place where we are wooed by him. Often when we have all the stuff that we want, often when we're not really affected by the world and, and things are going well, our pride says we don't need God. Our pride puts these blinders on us saying, God, yeah, I know you're real, I know you're out there somewhere, but I'm good. I'll come to you when I need something. God is not a genie in a bottle. God is not just someone you go to when things are, are out of control. He is supposed to be your ever-present center in all things. Everywhere you go, everything you do, he must be the axis on which you comprehensively rotate around. Because if you make anything else your center, you will end up like that top. So, Ephesians 2 says you were dead, but God made us alive together with Christ. It was his power, his mercy, his grace. By grace you have been saved. I love what an old theologian said. Um, Tim always encourages me to read the old dead guys, so I do. Um, and uh, his name is Gerard Ford. Um, I know other people pronounce it differently, but that's just the only way it slips off my tongue. Um, and this is what he wrote. Sanctification. This is, sanctification we tend to mix up with this works-based theology. But justification, sanctification, glorification, these are works of the Spirit in and through us. This is not works we do. And so sanctification, if it is to be spoken of something other than justification, is perhaps best defined as the art of getting used to the unconditional justification wrought by the grace of God for Jesus' sake. It is what happens when we are grasped by the fact that God alone justifies. It is being made holy, and as such, it is not our work. It is the work of the Spirit who is called holy. The fact it is not our work puts the old Adam Eve, our old self, to death and calls forth a new beginning in Christ. It is being saved from the sickness unto death and being called to new life. 
in the moments where I'm losing my temper or my finances are just all like over the place or I'm scared when my next paycheck is going to come or I feel like, like you know, in this season, does any, did anybody else feel like, like looters were, were just out and about and you were fearful of someone maybe breaking into your, your home because it's just a season where people come and take advantage of the vulnerable, right? There, there are these feelings where we just feel like someone's going to come get us or someone's out to get us or maybe it's someone at your work or your job where, where you feel like they're just trying to steal something from you or take your position or, or get you fired and you just, you just feel like you're, you're, you're out of control. And it's in those moments where we remember we have already been justified. God already finished the work on the cross on our behalf. So it's in the moments where I'm losing my temper with my kids or, or I'm um, trying to fulfill my loneliness with something that is sinful or wrong or something that is going to draw me away from the Lord. Maybe it's just escapism. Maybe it's just endless scrolling. And it's in those moments, it's remembering that the work of Jesus has been finished. And because it has been finished, God is in the process of sanctifying me day by day by day by day. And there's my daughter. Hey, Maya. (laughs) When life hits you like a hurricane, when your kid, who's four years old, walks in at 3.30 in the morning and keeps you up for two hours last night. Not me, my wife. She let me sleep. Remain centered in the finished work of Jesus. That must be your center. That must be your access. So look again at Ephesians 4.1. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Live your life rotating around the perfect access to which you have been called. Jesus as your center because nothing else can bear the weight of the circumstances of life. Um, This is kind of similar to back in the day when people thought that everything in our solar system, um, like that the Earth was the center, a geocentric model of the solar system where the Earth is at the center and everything else rotates around it. And as our technology has gotten better and better, we have been able to see and realize that the Earth is not the center. And it's a good thing that the earth is not the center because we don't have the strength or the power as a little planet to be able to hold everything together. In fact, if we put a picture of the sun up on the screen, um, here's a picture of the sun and there's the the earth. You see it? You see the earth next to the sun? Maybe it's the wrong picture. Hold on a second. Oh yeah, that dot right there. You see the white one? That's our earth in comparison to the sun. The strength and the magnitude of the gravity of the sun that holds our solar system together is very different than earth. If we placed earth at the center, everything in our solar system, including us, would just go away because we are not strong enough. But the sun at the center keeps everything rotating where it should. But we also have to remember the sun is not God. God is way, he spoke that sun into being. And so we must not be grounded on us at the center. We can't be the center. Dads, 
In this season, we can often feel this weight like we have to hold things together. We have to be strong. We have to, we have to be tough. We have to be the ones to make sure that everything is perfect. If our kids, if our spouses don't see us on our knees fully dependent on the Lord, then we're leading them to the wrong God. I am not God, and I am not my wife or my kids' savior, and I never will be. And I shouldn't desire that. I must continually point them to something so much greater than me. Dad, you want to be a good dad? Point your kids to Jesus. You want to be a good dad? Be on your knees in front of your kids. Humble yourself. Don't think that you have to be the one because you are the earth. Where's that picture? You are the speck. And God is so much greater than you. That's where you want to point your kids. So, nothing else can bear the weight of circumstances. Paul's pleading with the children of God to stop centering your life around yourself or around others because we can't bear that weight. But I love what Paul writes in verse 7 in chapter 4, which we're going to talk about in a couple weeks. But grace was given to each one of us, to each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. If you hear me say nothing else, look at me. There is a real God who loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. And he wants to adopt you. And he wants you to know you are loved and that you belong. Let him be your center. Don't try to be your own center. We need to stop it. (laughs) We need to stop doing what Adam and Eve tried to do and be their own God. Trust in him and him alone. And then there's an invitation here in verses two and three that I think is really beautiful, and this is how I'm gonna close. Look at verses two and three. With all humility, so he, he says, rotate, comprehensively walk, right? Live your life in a manner worthy, right? Live your life rotating comprehensively around the axis to which you have been called, which is Jesus Christ, with all humility, and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So he makes a shift where he's telling you to stay centered on the axis, which is Christ, and live in unity and love with one another. Now it's interesting how continually over and over again, Jesus is pointing people to himself and to other believers to do this. Why? Because we can't do it alone. God did not create us to live in isolation. You watch the the shows that it's when animals attack. Who do the animal attack? They attack the, the, the prey that is by themselves and alone and hurting. God didn't create us to be the lone wolf that's off by themselves. He created us as pack animals. And the beautiful example that we see here is actually of the redwoods that are seen in California. We got some Cali guys here, right? The redwoods in California. Here's a picture, if you can see it. The reason why these redwoods are so big and so strong and they don't get affected by the surrounding area is that not only do they have a deep foundation that is rooted and grounded, but then they begin to grow and interlock their roots with one another. And they, if one of them is, is needing more nutrients, they begin to borrow the nutrients from one another. 
This is a beautiful example of what God has created the church to be. I have seen this during the hurricane. From day one, we have not only seen this church, but the church in our our area, the church in our state, the church in our um, country, come together. We, I had calls on day one from guys from, from I think it was uh, Tennessee and um, <clears throat> I want to say Mississippi or maybe Kentucky, like calling me up saying, hey, I'm a pastor. I just, church, for, churches in Fort Myers. He said, what do you need? We'll, we'll put stuff on a, uh, in a car and get it down to you ASAP. Like, that's the church coming together and operating together. That's what it looks like to have Sanibel Community Church meeting here on Sunday nights because they don't have a building anymore. The church begins to come together and serve one another. That's what the church is called to do. Borrow nutrients from one another and interlock with one another. When one is hurting, we all surround them. I have seen that this week with Dawn. It was a hard week coming in and going to her house on Monday morning. I sat there for about 30 minutes on her couch. I didn't say a word. I was just there listening and praying. But you know what I saw? I saw the church surrounding her, holding her up. In moments, there, were, there was laughing because of these beautiful memories of her son. And in other moments, there was this weeping and breaking. And in those moments, these women that were there at the house would just surround her and hold her. That's what we as the church are supposed to be. That's who we are called to in humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. Do you know somebody maybe in your family that's hard to bear with in love? I think we all can think of someone. Y'all, everyone has a crazy in their family, okay? And if, if you don't, guess what? You're it, okay? So, but we as the church are called to bear with one another in love, surround one another, hold one another, interlock our roots with one another. That's why we put such a high emphasis on community groups. Not because we want to have a percentage, not because we want to um, put something on a website, like none of that's important. What's important is that when you're hurting, that there's a community of people around you that can help. And what ends up happening is our pride gets in the way and says, we don't need that. I'm good. Like, that's for the people that, you know, are really in a bad spot. That's not what this is saying, though. Look at verse 2 and 3 again. It first starts off with, with all humility and gentleness. Often our pride can be the reason that we are not living in community. Our pride, and we don't see it as that because we mask it as uh, this, like, false humility. We mask it as, oh, we don't want to be a burden on other people, so we're just going to take care of this ourselves. You are not called to do that. And if you are doing that, you're living in disobedience to what God says. So stop it. God says, surround yourself, interlock your roots with people at church. Well, maybe the church has hurt you before. Let me speak to that real quick. 
the church is made up of mixed up, messed up, broken people. I will fail. I am not perfect. I am a sinner. Tim will fail. We will say something, we will do something, and we will screw something up. We will let you down at some point. Again, we are not made to bury the weight of your Savior. Our only job, our only role is to point you to Jesus. And that's what we're supposed to do. So in the moments where the church hurt you, I am so sorry. You do not deserve that, and I'm sorry that you walked through that. But we as a church should be able to rally around you and help you through that. Don't just continue to stiff arm the church because someone at one point as a sinner hurt you or people hurt you or they handled something the wrong way. They will. We will. But as the church, we should be able to come together and find reconciliation in this right here, in humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity of the spirit with the bond of peace. It's not easy. Life is not easy. Circumstances will change. People will hurt you. However, there is a God who is greater than all of those things. And my hope and my prayer today is that you will begin to understand and know what it looks like to center yourself on something that is immovable, something that will never shake, that is never broken, and his name is Jesus. Can I pray for us? Jesus, I don't know why, but I, I just, I feel, Lord, this sense that there are some here today that do not believe that you are enough. They are looking at their circumstances and they are saying, God cannot overcome this. And I pray right now, Lord, that you would meet them where they're at. You would meet them in their hopelessness. You would meet them in their brokenness. You would meet them in their mourning. And that you would draw them near to you and that you would draw them into relationship with your family. God, you're the only one that can reveal to us who you are and what you have done. And so by the power of your spirit, by the name of Jesus, I pray that you would bring people even in this moment from death to life. And I pray that this place, this church, would be a safe place for them to ask questions, to doubt, to struggle, God, you don't say to us that we have to come to this place where we figure it all out. No, you invite us to full dependency in who you are and what you have done. And so if there are those today that are questioning, if there are those today that have questions that they can't answer, God, I pray that they would come to the elders, they would come to their, the deacons, that they would come to community group leaders, and that they would ask those questions without fear of judgment, without fear of being cast out, but that they would know that this is a safe place to come and to find rest and to find peace. God, for those of us today that are listening to this and are shouting, amen, yes, Jesus needs to be our center, I pray that we would not dwell up in pride saying, oh, we figured it out. 
but we too would be on our knees saying, Lord, every day we need you. Every hour, every minute, every second, we need you. God, right now I lift up our sister Dawn. God, she is still in shock. But there are going to be moments that will feel too heavy to bear. Lord, I pray that we as her church would surround her, interlock our roots with her, hold her up when she's angry when she's sad, when she's lonely, when she's doubting. God, today at four o'clock, we are gonna have the opportunity to share your good news with a bunch of students from Fort Myers High School, Fort Myers Christian School, and the surrounding area. God, I pray that hearts would be transformed, minds would be transformed for your name, for your glory. God, we love you. I pray that you would be the center of our church. You'd be center of our community. You'd be the center of our world. In your name that we pray. Amen.